This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt provides a summary definition of Israel and what is meant by Roman 11's All Israel Will Be Saved. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here once again with Thad Keenel in the Planet Podcast. What do we got going on today, Thad? What do we have going on? Well, I think if we've calculated our predictions correctly, we should be able to wrap up our study of Israel today, maybe do some summary of all the things that we've talked about. We've talked about so many various things. So I think that's the game plan. And then also maybe try to settle a question that we've all wrestled with which is the at the end of Romans there where it talks about at the at the end of the age of the Gentiles that all Israel will be saved. Yeah. What does that mean? Who is all and who is Israel? Right. We've been trying to define Israel. Now let's look at what all that comes yeah. into. Yeah, so it'd be good. I mean, I think we we started we've been touching on it some and referencing it and even last time I think we kind of in some senses were trying to land there, but I think we could do it with more clarity and even though begrudgingly we have to do a 13th episode of this season. It would just been much more biblical if we could have ended on 12. Well, we'll just uh, attribute that to, to Judas. Okay. Or, or, but then again, you know, we've had, we've had this whole discussion of, of uh, how Joseph, you know, his two sons get included in this, Ephraim and, and Manasseh. Yeah, right? that's right. And so in some ways, there are 13 tribes, because even though the Levites don't get a land, right, but they're... They're still counted as one of the They're three in count- Judah. Yes. <laughs> so we have all that going for us, but you know, if we don't feel good about the number 13, we'll just go ahead and do another one if we have to. But I'll just name well, it 12B. It, it, well, it, it, it was the number of my favorite Purdue basketball player of all time, you know, it was Glenn Robinson. Oh, is that right? 13. So that, that make, that, you know, that's well, in honor of Glenn. <laughs> there we go. So... Uh, I mean, let's just, uh, where do you want to begin? Do you want to just begin with reading that section of uh, Romans 11 again? Okay, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you read for us wherever you would like us to start? <laughs> okay. <laughs> In verse 25 of chapter 11, it reads like this. For I do not want you brothers to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Should I go on? Um, yeah, let, why don't you keep going? Through verse 32. Verse 28. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies, are they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. 
For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God! How inscrutable are his judgments, and unfathomable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be repaid to him? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now this echoes what we talked about at the end of our last episode, um, where you compared this ending to the crescendo of Romans 8. Yeah, yeah. So you went ahead and I went all the way through 36, which is great. It does. And we just see that flowing out of the facts that God has shown mercy on all, he kind of breaks into this, you know, uh, almost like a little poem or doxology or, or so forth of giving all praise to God. But the reason I wanted to have you read through verse 32 as well is because this whole little discussion he gets in in terms of disobedience, uh, I think is very important for us to help us understand all Israel. So as we go back, because we have, and in this whole series, we kind of uh, early on painstakingly tried to tell the story of the patriarchs in Israel and put it in context all the way back as its connection to to the first 11 chapters of Genesis, even into then, the... uh, Connecting it then to then when they be, kind of became a nation who was delivered out of Egypt and, and entered into covenant with God at Sinai. And then when that covenant is kind of re-given or re-read with its blessings and curses before they go into the land in Deuteronomy, there's all this warning language about the fact that um, these curses, and it's actually prophetic in in saying you're actually going to be disobedient. You You have uncircumcised hearts and 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 the and nations are going to come and take you away, <laughs> you know. And so that whole uh, why would God do that? Uh, and in some ways, it's not unrelated to questions I have often asked, and I get asked all the time as a pastor or just in ministry: is why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right. It's all related. It is. Uh, and and so. It's very important, I think, for us to take that full-orbed picture of the entirety of Scripture and see that Israel is the prototype of all humanity in many ways. Uh, Yes, they're chosen and they're, they're made distinct from the rest of the nations, but for the purpose of God restoring humanity, but within that he... There's all this promised language in the Old Testament about the restoration of Israel. And so um, I think it's important for us to see that 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 whole mindset, I think, is within Paul here. And he's trying in these three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, he's really trying to explain. And he doesn't really do this to this extent anywhere else in any of his writings you know, Galatians or Ephesians, even where he's addressing Gentile issues, and even Philippians, some, you know, he doesn't go into this extensive explanation of God having to keep his promises mm-hmm. to Israel. And is his, you know, back up in Romans 9, is, is, you know, is God's word somehow not sufficient, or is it not, you know, did, right. does God not get the work done, right? Right. Um, and, and so, the, so what, when we get here is, he doesn't want, 
the Gentiles or Israelites, but I think even the Gentiles, to think they're wise in their own sight. He doesn't want them to be aware of this mystery. Um, And so what's the mystery? Well, he says the mystery is a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so, okay, what does that mean? And then in this way, all Israel will be saved. So let's just look at, I'll have you tell your own personal story, because we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast started, that when you were early on, when you were uh, a Christian who was, after you'd kind of come out of Catholicism, and now you're, um, you believe in the, you're believing the doctrines of grace, and, and you're confronted with this, what's your view of these verses kind of initially, when you first started wrestling with them? Yeah, sure. Well, as a young Christian, as a young Protestant Christian coming out of college and starting to just be hungry for the truth of God's Word, I did a lot of listening to John MacArthur, you know, just a great expositor of the Word of God, Mm -hmm. but he also has a dispensational view of his eschatology. Mm -hmm. And so what that looks like is when you get to this exact passage where it says that, you know, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved, it looks like that at the end of the age of the Gentiles, where we have a coming of the Lord in the form of the rapture. Mm -hmm. And I think most Christians understand what that is, where we have the dead in Christ rise first, then we who are alive and remain will join them in the air, and then we'll ever be with the Lord. And that's a scripture, so it's true what it says, but the timing for dispensationalism is ahead of another dispensation or another age where then all Israel, who was at one time disobedient and cut off from the true faith, which we would call Christian now, will then come in. Mm-hmm. So does that explain the first part of it good enough? I think so. Well, yeah, so it talks about kind of the this, this fullness of the Gentiles in that view is what is often referred to as the church age. Right. And so that, for a dispensationalist, Thank you. Yeah. that's going to be from the time of the resurrection, or we could even say Pentecost, you know, the birth right. of the church, until this pre-second coming, you know, the, the first <laughs> second coming, where right. he, he doesn't come all the way. So they wouldn't say it's fully, because he, he just comes in the air, gets the church, and whisks them away. Right. right? But that would be... The fullness of the Gentiles, they would say, is that age, which we're, would cur- we would say we're currently in. Correct. Uh, they would say. But let me ask, before we go there, how would you have viewed this, the previous, the partial hardening has come upon Israel? Um, I would say I used to think of that as also part of the church age, when most of Israel, well, there were some Israelites who did believe, but most of them didn't. Right, and so their hearts are, were hard, and so it was referencing pretty much the same time period. Would you agree? I would. I would. That's exactly how I would view that. In other words, so when Christ died on the cross um, and was raised from the the grave, um, and then we see Pentecost, where we see these people from different nations believing, right? The gospel does go forth to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then mm-hmm. to the outer reaches of the earth. But from what we would conclude 
is that most of Israel still rejected Jesus. So the partial right. hardening was to the bulk of Israel, right? right? And then right. the gospel message went out primarily to the Gentiles. Of course, the gospel is preached to Jew and Gentile alike, but that partial hardening is, is what I'm yeah. expecting you to agree with me on. Well, I, and as, yeah, far as, that, as far as that say, view. Well, that view, and I would say that was my view. Right. And, and, and not that it still isn't to some degree, but I think I've expanded it. Right. Based on this study and based a little bit on like things that state, this Jason Staples and stuff has said, is that actually I think this partial hardening it would e- could even relate to Israel before Christ, right? It, the, the partial hardening was even was there in the splitting of the northern and southern tribes and the tribes being taken away into the nations, that that was itself a partial hardening. It was what Moses was predicting back in Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. right? That, that they're not going to have uncircumcised hearts. Right. That the partial hardening is was already there because they weren't, and, and is the reason they didn't receive the Messiah when he came. You know, and so in some senses, in Paul's mind, his concern is for all Israel in, in that sense that, that he knows that that it, this has been what Israel has been like, right? In 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 all of biblical history, right? To some degree, yeah. Would you buy that? I do. I okay. agree. Yeah. All right. I agree with that. Okay. So so then, as you kind of got exposed to more covenantal theology and started seeing Israel in a little bit of a different way than just all Israel as this future oriented thing, then kind of uh, within. Up until maybe a few months ago, as we started doing this study, or and were kind of read some Jason Staples articles and so forth. How would you have used uh, verses um, the end of twenty five and verse twenty six? Right. So the first aspect is to modify the idea of a pre return of Christ or the rapture aspect before a millennial mm-hmm. kingdom right. aspect. And that is that there's going to be one second coming of Christ at the end of the age. And that would be in synchrony with the fullness of the age of the Gentiles. When that age has come in, then we would have the end of the age. Right. But that includes all of true Israel, which is Jew and Gentile that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right. as their Savior. And then that way, we have all Israel be saved. Because... My argument with the verse on that is that not all Israel is of Israel according to the Romans 9 scenario, mm-hmm. but all those who are the seed of promise. That's true, Israel. So it's not by a bloodline. Right. And this is still true, by the way. I still We, still, we still hold this view. Right. That we're just going to be adding one more aspect to right. it, I think. So there's going to be a little nested egg yeah. in the middle of this. Yeah. And we would, we would have said that how all Israel is being saved is by the ingrafting of Israel who believes in Jesus Christ back into the grafting of the Gentiles into the original olive tree, <laughs> you know? Right. So it's the, it is that all Israel is right now being saved through the, you know, this, this time, because we're not just preaching to Gentiles. Ever, anybody's can come to Christ right now. Right? right. And so it's an open invitation to Jew and Gentile. Right. We are of the view that, True Israel is synonymous with the church. Yes, right. Now, what 
we've been saying here, in, in especially in the last episodes of the podcast, but part of the reason we've done all this leading up to this is we want to define who Israel is, is that context matters. And so sometimes Israel can mean different things based on its context. Like there are times in the prophets where it's specifically referring to after the time of the divided kingdom, just northern tribes. And it's distinguished from Judah, which are the southern the southern kingdom, right. right? So sometimes it's just that. Sometimes it is very much dealing with ethnicity. Other times it's it's dealing with a people and a nation collectively, and it's not necessarily just about genealogy, even though that's obviously included in that. It's much more about God's promises to a people and his desire to dwell with them and all that. And in that sense, you know, we would even maybe include like the Rahabs and Ruths, who wouldn't necessarily be ethnically Jewish, but converted, you know, right. in that sense. And so, and that's one of the interesting things that I think when you think about any culture, any society, any ethnicity, you can't, it's not just about genetics. What makes a people is also their worldview, their, especially their religious practices or lack thereof, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is that what sometimes scholars refer to as their cultic activity. And and then that's just the way that they go about worship and their belief systems and what and all those kind of things and how how those are lived out in community and as a people and sometimes as a whole nation, right? Right. So well just so with that, reason I bring all that up is to say that sometimes it can be an artificial thing to try to divorce the religious beliefs from the the ethnicity. It really is. And that's, right. that's almost where I was going to go with my statement to maybe narrow down the definition a little bit of there's really not two covenant peoples. There's one covenant people that's considered Israel. Yeah. Correct? Right. And we, on this side of the cross, and we can call it the church, but we are integrated into true Israel. Right. So that includes the the Jews, Gentiles, Israelites, uh, whoever believes in the name Jesus Christ. Now, the one thing that we want to, I think, be be sure to specify here is that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved but the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're not believing on Jesus Christ, even if you are an Old Testament Yahweh believing Israelite or Jew, mm-hmm. you are not saved on this side of the cross because you're not believing in the one true means of salvation that Yahweh right. has made. Correct. And so I think some people still have our time with that and call, they can be members of the church, but yet they'll still call Israel God's chosen people. Yeah. So yes, we, we need to unpack some things there. So I think right. some people could misunderstand. So, when when you say, you're, I think you're thinking today who are still trying to to believe in Yahweh just purely through the Old Testament, right? Means, like a, let's just take an right? Orthodox Jew for example, right? But but people would probably be asking, well, what about the people of the Old who lived during the Old Testament who didn't know about Jesus? Right, yet? And that's How why I said, they I, right, and that's why right? I said on this side of the cross is the okay. critical thing because but, you can, but even those people who who did have true loyal faith in Yahweh and were practicing sacrifice, they were all it was all pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is 
they're still saved through Jesus, even even they wouldn't have known oh, him by name. That's true, but they, right. because they are following the true faith at Yahweh. Exactly. So the, the revelation right. at that time was to believe in Yahweh and right. to right. be under the covenant with Moses. Right. And so what I would say, so let's take a, a, a Jewish person today who is religious, because you could also have people who would say they, they would call themselves Jewish but they, at the same time, they would say they're atheists, you know, right. because they, they're, they're doing it very much from just the purely ethnic and, and, and cultural family practice, even though they say, well, I don't believe it, but I just participate because that's what my family does. You right. Know? Um, but, but let's say for the person who truly does believe that and truly does try to follow and is very religious in their Jewishness, okay, it's partly their, it is their religion that is making them Jewish in many ways. Okay, but what we're saying is, is just because they're doing that religion and it's based on the Bible, the Old Testament, right. and they believe in Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the Bible, you know, in humility, I'm no man's judge, only God judges. But what we believe the New Testament has revealed is that all of us, Jew and Gentile, are covenant breakers. Right, right, and so, and we're going to read the, some of that yeah. again. And so, the issue is is not with is is a lack of recognition that the way to be restored into right covenant with God is through a new covenant that is fulfilled in Jesus. Right, because the Old Testament through the law of Moses, they had mediators, yeah, and those mediators helped implement the sacrifice system to for the days of atonement and uh, and all of those other sacrifices that people personally brought because it's by the shedding of innocent blood that sins can be covered. And those were all looking forward to Jesus. Um, once we get to the cross, the priestly system of the old Testament is worthless because Jesus Christ is the high priest mm-hmm. that, so we have a, we have a new high priest that we have to go through for mediation to the father. There's there. There's there's one God and one mediator to God, the man Christ Jesus, yeah. right? And so this is just very simple, straightforward gospel stuff, but we wanted to make sure that we are not talking about two different covenant people. The covenant right. has been modified through Jesus Christ. It's, that's why they call it the new covenant. It's fulfilled mm-hmm. in his blood. And so any other religion... Even a Christian religion that doesn't truly focus on Christ. If they just go to church and, and say, "Hey, I, I believe," yeah, that I follow not... Jesus. He's a good teacher. He's a he's a good moral teacher. I want to try to be like him. Right. You need a change. Of, you need a change of heart. Repent of your sins and, and believe and trust. That's, that's what the true faith is all about. When you are right. pl- when you are plugged into that, but that's all through a heart change that Jesus yeah. Christ makes anyway. So now, to look at the end of the age of the Gentiles as a time where the church age actually ends and that Israel is going to is going to come in in fulfillment kind of of that first covenant like the covenant's going to be reestablished again with a new temple sacrifice uh doesn't fit yeah that's that's the dispensational view that right. would have been your first view right and into the second view that we're kind of back you know trying to explain what all Israel would be there is this true Israel of belief True Israel being all who believe in the new covenant, the fulfillment of things in Jesus, that that is that is this age we are currently in. Correct. Um, 
and that is that Israel is being included in that right now. Right. Um, and so what I think we're trying to then say is that we aren't denying that, but I think what we find is in this kind of what I'm calling kind of now this third progression of, of, of understanding here with all Israel is that it, it is, yes, they are all spiritual Israel, but there is also this intentionality of language that's including God's promises to Israel in the sense of the full, the all of the 12 tribes, right? The all of Israel being those um, included in this, in the sense there was a, a reason why God had the northern ten tribes go into all the nations, right? There's a reason why this blessing that's given to Ephraim, you know, includes the fullness of the nations or the the uh, the multitude of the nations, right? And and so forth that we talked about last week. And so, which again, just to just to be explicit with it here in the text, is this phrase until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That little part of it, the fullness of the Gentiles could be very, would equate to the phrase of fullness of the nations or the multitude of the nations back to uh, Genesis 48 when Jacob blesses Abraham saying that he's going to, his descendants are going to become the fullness of the nations. Right. And so, um, so there's an intentionality in that, 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 that Jason Staples in his studies, believes that's his thesis here that he's bringing to the table. And I'm uh, proposing that it's worth very good consideration. And I, and you and I would both say he's got us convinced. I would think so. And, and yeah. so, but, it, but you, you know, all and it's our not just in, yeah, and it's because it's not just in Genesis 48 and 49, right? It, it's through, we're seeing it in, in these other prophets that we're well, reading. Yeah. We're seeing it in the book of Joel. We're seeing it in Hosea. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and many other places as well. So just to review a quick bit of history, when, when we have King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, when, when Israel, living in the Canaanite land, were a united kingdom, so all, the, all 12 tribes were kind of actively worshiping in the temple and doing temple sacrifice under one unified king, right? There was a separation that you talk about after Solomon, but the northern tribes, which are equated with Ephraim, because of their disobedience and wanting to serve the gods of like the other nations, God basically says, "Well, listen, if you're if you're going to be rejecting me, you know, disrupting the covenant that we've that you've agreed to, mm-hmm. then I'm going to divorce you and you can live like the Gentiles. I mean, that's kind of how I see that. So the the curse of his judgment is the consequence of their rejection of the one true God in the way that they were living. In the same way that the curse to Adam and Eve right. and being exiled from the garden is there because they rejected Yahweh in the garden and, and not eating of the tree of life, but eating from the other tree. Exactly right. right. You know, and, it, and it continues on. So then you have a, a few years after that, and we're we're all proud of the southern tribes. We're all proud of Judah for for a short time. And guess what? They also get disciplined and they go <laughs> they, into exile in the Babylon, it. right? And that's what this is kind of I think where you were leading that it's it's through 
the disobedience of all these people. And now here we are in the age of the Gentiles, so we've got something to be proud of, I think. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Well, does it yeah. say anything else about that? Well, yeah. Well, before we get back to that, I just I, and I think we may have covered this a little bit last time, too, but I just think it's worth reading again Jeremiah 31 in the New Covenant. Oh, good. Yeah. Because it's if we think about all this in context, we understand why he's using the words he's using here. So, and I'll just pick up in verse 31, and we note that even earlier he distinguishes you know, but he's calling both Israel and Judah in this whole chapter that, that this is here. And so even right here, he does again. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So mm-hmm. right there, we see that why does he have to talk about two different houses? Right. Only because they've, they've split apart and they're not together. They are, you know, ethnic Israel, but... We recognize that they are. There is the need to distinguish Israel from Judah, right. in that sense. So I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And then notice this phrase: "My covenant that they broke." There it is. Right. That's that disobedience. Mm-hmm. There's a break. Why? Does God not owe anything to them in some senses back to the as it applies to the original covenant? Because they broke it. Right. And with the breaking comes blessings and curses. Now he does in other places and promise that he's going to bring them back, and that's part of what this covenant is saying. You know, so he's going to keep his word of the new covenant here. But the, the point is, is that Jeremiah goes to explicitly say, you know, that previous covenant, that this one's not going to be like that. But also remember, they broke that covenant, mm-hmm. right? right? So he says, though I was their husband, there's the language of Hosea, right? right? Declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. And it's interesting there in 33, he does he conflates them into one. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. So Israel and Judah in the new covenant are being brought back together. <laughs> and so there was this expectation I think even in Second Temple Judaism and stuff of the restoration that they they were looking for some way for it all to be restored again. So this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or his brother, know the Lord for they shall all know me. From the least of these to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sins no more. And so this it's it's a total reset right there in the in he's not going to remember their sins anymore he's going to bring them back and it's going to they're going to they're going to know the lord right and then that's back into that relational knowing and he's dwelling with and there's restoration in that right but it's important for us to see that he starts out house of israel house of judah and then and he reminds them that they broke the covenant and then when he establishes the new covenant he speaks them of his one again the house of Israel. So you won't ha- you don't have any of the new covenant without the disobedience. And so as we go back to Romans 11, we see what what does he tell us in Romans 11 after we we see that all Israel is going to be saved. Well, he he quotes from the Old Testament from Isaiah 59, and he talks about the deliverer that will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. 
and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Right. So that that's that's new covenant language, right? Mm-hmm. Taking away their sins as regard the gospel. And what is the gospel again? The gospel is a declaration. It is an announcement of Jesus being victorious. Right. He is the king. He's the one who sets all things right. Okay. He says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. So let's ask, who is they? Well, this are the, these are the Israelites that rejected the gospel. Right. right. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Okay? Um, and this is why a lot of people are like, yeah, there, there has to be this mass conversion mm-hmm. coming back, right? Because um, it's true, God... That's completely true, but it doesn't necessarily, we don't have to see it. We, we can see that he's doing it not through some mass conversion in the future, but he's doing it right now through the Gentiles, right? That's the issue. Because, because of the, the northern tribes being dispersed into the nations, they are equated with the nations, which relates to that episode that we did where we talked about those who are my people who are not my people, right? right. So Gentiles, we know, are not my people. But Israel became not my people. Right, that's what Hosea is all about. Exactly, right? And so, so now... Let, um, me, let me take a... I'll just do a quick uh, review of, of Hosea okay. in, a, in a summary form because I think it's important. But right out of the gate in Hosea 1, um, God is demonstrating the metaphor of how Israel has treated him like... They were a harlot. They went out and, and practiced harlotry with other nations. And so he has Hosea, which is representative of, of God in this case, go out and marry a harlot, right? Right. And they have three children. And the very first one, um, Jezreel, is a name that means God sows, right? Or and it speaks of God's dealing, how he's going to deal with Israel. And right. then we see his second child called no compassion. These are the, these are the transliterations of the yeah. name, no compassion. And then the third child is not my people. Right. But those are, this is right through verse nine of chapter one, verse 10 B, he promises to bring them back. It will be said to them that you are the sons of the living God. So there's, there is the disciplinary action. You're not my people, but I will call my people, who were called not my people, right? right? I will. This is all about God's continual open arms and love and mercy uh, for a people that has rejected Him. If they would just, you know, repent and right. and, and, and come back to Him. So, uh, but it takes God to soften the hearts of man. It does, and so that's that's what happens in the promise, you know, of of Hosea here. Of what exactly what you're speaking of. So yeah, they were disobedient, but the promise was always to bring them back. Now, if we say that it's not to the age, end of the age of the Gentiles, that means that God has been um, shelving His promise to His people for over two thousand years. He's still calling them not my people, and that's yeah. not what we see. Right. Exactly. And so, um, because they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. In verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Okay, right? God's going to keep, God keeps his word. Well, the question is how? 
where he says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, okay, the preaching to the Gentiles, because of their disobedience. Who's their disobedience? Um, well, I think it's the disobedience of the Israel of Israel who got dispersed into the nations. Right. So they too have now been disobedient in order that they may mercy shown to you that they may also now receive mercy. How are the lost ten tribes receiving mercy? Through the preaching of the Gentiles. Right, because they've been assimilated into those right. nations, and that's that's a huge thing. Yeah. And and for God has consigned all the disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So there's that word all again. And and I think I didn't necessarily connect at times the all of verse 32 with the all of all Israel, right? I wanted to separate those out. Well, and this is kind of where I'm going to get rebuked for saying the Gentiles. So we're, we're good. I mean, we deserve this, right? <laughs> because what you're just saying here is that it was, first of all, because of their disobedience, right? Um, but God's going to show them mercy. But in verse 32, as you just said, God has shut up all in disobedience right. that he may show mercy to all. Right. It's all about God's mercy. Well, yeah, and who were the first ones? To, I mean, in some senses, if we go back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, why did we talk about that? Well, all of humanity was disobedient. Right. Right, so how did the nations become the nations? Through their disobedience, God divided them up. Right. And then he took Israel for himself, and it's when he took Israel for himself that that election took place after disobedience had already occurred. Yeah, right. So so in that sense, we can say Gentiles were the first disobedient ones. <laughs> right. Now let me show you a um, another fulfillment of God's dealings with Israel in a sense that doesn't extend to top-shelving the the, the tribes of Israel until the end of the Gentiles. Okay. Okay. And it comes from Joel. And this is something that I've just been looking at. And you can read the flow of this, of this book, but after in the first one and a half chapters of Joel, um, all the way up through 11, that we see that God has been judging them with their harvest through locusts and with armies. Some of these we probably can assume this is the attacks from Assyria, maybe even Babylon, right? But in chapter and it's describing them as curses that we would find in Deuteronomy and, and other and other prophets that talk about you know this is God's judgment on the breaking of right. the covenant. And again, right? again, the curse part of that is really the consequence of their disobedience, exactly. right? But then we see in chapter two and verse twelve that he calls them. He says, "Like return to me." Rend your hearts, not your garments. So he wants to see a true heart change in people and the call to return. And Joel is saying, hey, listen, you know, pray for God, seek out to him. Even though he's promised you judgment, who knows if he might, you know, relent on what he's going to say and turn from, from his judgment on you. And then verse 16, it says, let the bridegroom out of his chamber. And when I was reading that, uh, as I was trying to reconcile on all of all this, all I could think of is is letting the lion of the tribe of Judah out of heaven. You know, mm. which the the bridegroom we are continuously put in imagery with Jesus Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. And when I see let the bridegroom out of his chamber, I started to think about the incarnation aspect of of him coming there. Now, whether that's really what this is speaking of. I don't know, but it's where it took me. And the reason that I 
saying that because if it follows on then in verse 18, when Christ leaves his chamber and comes to to earth to be here, God incarnate, Emmanuel, it says in verse 18, then Yahweh will spare his people. So if we're, if we're saying that his people at this time of, of Joel was Israel, yep. how does God save his people? Through the incarnation. This is the this is the, the calling back, right? And it says in verse 19, never again making his people a reproach among the nations. Oh. Here we are speaking about the nations, a reproach among among the nations. So and then verse 20, 26, then my people will never be put to shame. And then he talks about dwelling in the midst of Israel. And then we see the fulfillment that takes place um that we can point to, right? That afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. So we see the possibility here of maybe the incarnation of God. Mm-hmm. When the bridegroom is let out of his chamber, he's going to be in the midst of Israel. And how do we know that Christ says he was in the midst of Israel? Because he said, when these things are happening and when I'm here, the kingdom of God is at hand. Right. And I just think that's just so cool because and then after that we see... Pentecost fulfilled that Peter speaks of from Acts chapter 2, where we see the Holy Spirit is now changing hearts. It comes to fill in the people. And who is, who's the first ones that the Holy Spirit is, is affecting? But those from the diaspora, of the, mm-hmm. for those that didn't all return from the Babylonian captivity, and maybe even some of these other Israelites. So the first yeah. ones that we see coming in are, are, from the are from the nations, but are also from the bloodline of Israel, because they're coming back to Israel for the Feast of Pentecost, which was a requirement for all abled bodies to be there for a high feast day. And I just think that just, it rounds everything off a little bit. Now, my whole point of that was to show that God's mercy on the reconciliation of Israel begins at the time of Christ. Right. Yeah. And and I think people for a long time have viewed you know, Pentecost as a reversal of Babel, mm-hmm. right? Because you have the nations coming back right. and you have the whole, they were, they, one, they were split into various tongues and then now they're all speaking in various tongues, but they can understand each other. And, you know, you see God kind of repairing all that. Right. And, 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 and I think they have rightly all seen, you know, the significance of the, you know, the foreshadowing of how the gospel's going into all the nations, uh, because again, Israel was to be a blessing to all the nations, and now Christ is a blessing to all the nations. But the added layer that this is bringing is that yes, it, he's a blessing to the nations, but it's through that blessing to the nations is that Israel itself is being brought back and grafted back in through the Gentiles because many of them had been absorbed into the Gentiles. Well, this okay, I'm, I'm jumping in because this is why I'm so excited and, and why I left. The next couple of verses for uh-huh. you because you're going to be teaching on this on Sunday. But are you in the book of Joel right now? Yeah. So, chapter three, the first two verses. Mm-hmm. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with him there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. And I have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for a wine and drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you're paying me back, I'll return your payment on your own head and swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and carried 
my rich treasures into your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place of which you've sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. Mm. Okay, so when you were reading those first two verses, I don't know if anybody could see because you're listening on a podcast right now, but I think I levitated a little bit. (laughs) But, I mean, listen what was restored in verse 1. The fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem... And I'll gather all the nations. So, okay, that's cool. That's that's the Gentiles, and that's that's the Jews. That's kind of what I see, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so what about those lost tribes? Oh, we just got to read on a little bit further. Verse 2, I will gather all the nations, as you said, yeah. um, on behalf of my people and my inheritance, whom? Israel. Oh, so he he separates the Jerusalem and the Judah and the people of his inheritance from the nations Israel from what? From whom they have scattered among the nations. Right. There's there's the whole picture. There is, and then verse six and seven as well. The way, reason I kept on reading is, you sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks to remove them far from their own border. But then it says, "Behold, I will stir them up, and then I will return." You said, "I'll return your payment," but to your own head. But but I I think there's an illusion there that they're they're going to come back from the place from which you sold them, right? And they're going to come back. And in essence, be able to rule over you. But the point is, is that they're, you know, they're returning, mm-hmm. you know, there as well. It's, it's return language. And so. Um, and it's inclusive. Yes, it's inclusive. And, I, and what, I, what I'm believing is going on here is that that's not yet to come. That is, that's in process of happening right now. You know, and, and, and again, we don't need to have it tied just to that little tract of land. Either because the return ultimately is about returning to the Lord. Right. The whole purpose of living in the land is because the Lord was going to dwell there with them, right? You know, and so in the new heavens and the new earth, of course, that land is going to be a part of it, you know, and it's going to literally be fulfilled in that way as well. But the but the bigger issue is of returning to the land is always a symbol for returning to true worship with Yahweh. Right. Right. And how is true worship with Yahweh achieved now? Through Jesus and His blood, it's not through a temple in Jerusalem, <laughs> right? Right. It's well, not through yeah. an animal sacrifice. It's, right. it's you know the final sacrifice has been made, and so because of that, that worship can go into all the nations. It can go everywhere. That that worship is happening now in the uttermost parts of which Paul was the committed apostle to, to kick off that whole project, right? <laughs> but in doing so, what I think he's saying in Romans 9 to 11, that in doing so, he's actually fulfilling his passion to reach his kinsmen. That's absolutely, right? yeah. Well, he expresses his heart in the beginning of 9 with that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so okay. as, we, as we go back to Romans 11... And look at what he says in terms of this, you know, the disobedience and the receiving mercy is part of God's sovereign plan. Just like his sovereign plan was included the fall of mankind with Adam and Eve. Now, he didn't choose that for them. Right? He did not um, 
God's not the author of evil, right. okay? But it was all part. He from the very beginning of creation, we know that he he had a, a, a agreement that the sun was going to come and 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 set all things right. Right. You know, and so just like that's the case there, that the whole we should rightly grieve when the two tribes split and Israel comes and they start doing all those false worship and everything. But even in all that, and even in their exile and disperse and and being taken into exile by the Assyrians and assimilated into the nations, God had a purpose for it all along. Because it was actually through that that Israel became a blessing to the nations because that was part of Paul's motivation to go reach the Gentiles, right? <laughs> right. And part of the reason of, in one sense, the, the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles, not just from Paul, but just from God himself, was yes, to, to bless the Gentiles and to bring them back, but also it was to fulfill his covenant with Israel. That the Gentiles, the preaching to the Gentiles is also is, is part of God being faithful to his, his covenant with Abraham. There's so many facets that you can talk about and maybe even have some speculation on, but the idea of this eternal covenant, all we can do is receive what he has told us, yeah. right? It's just the same way that um, we know what scripture is. We can receive receive scripture as the word of God. It's not something that, it's not us determining, hey, this is what God wrote. That's what some people try to do. But it's, it's all about receiving the revelation that he's right. given to us. Right. And so, um, yeah, there are some things that are difficult to understand. But when he says to us that, it was through all the different people, so Jew, Israel, and the Gentiles, through all through their disobedience. We don't really like that. Well, you're saying that you set this whole thing up, God. No. He's saying, it's because then I can show the mercy. I want to show you the merciful God that I am. Right. Right. And also, uh, probably on our behalf, that. If there was anything, we still could do this, right? If there was any reason that it wasn't because of our disobedience, we would take credit for it. You know, well, yeah. And, and, and that's right. And then we would be working on a law of works at that point. Right. And the other thing, you know, I as I think about this, well, one, because this is so, you know, like how unsearchable are his ways, right? The 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 fact that, you know, that all this is co- causes Paul to break out into this who's known the mind of the Lord and, you know, for him and through him are all things and he gets the glory forever, mm-hmm. you know, because I think in some ways as the Holy Spirit's revealing this to Paul, his, his Paul's mind's being blown in all this. Right. And that's why he has to, you know, break out into this. But as it relates to, you know, why would God do this? Is he just setting it up and all this kind of stuff? As I think about myself um, and if it, and just think about the nature of humanity, as as history has revealed, is that if I were to spend eternity with God, not having been redeemed, okay, there would still potentially be a part of me that would even let's say I lived, you know, hundred thousand tens of thousands of years in faithfulness. 
Well, the example that you're talking about is Adam and Eve. Yeah, let's say they wouldn't have, you know, whatever. The right. point is, at some point in the future, that could still happen. Not just for them, but for their offspring, or one of their offspring, or one of their offspring. And in that sense, the, the point is, is that God in his grace, in his mercy, helps us see, we know what it's like to live apart from him. And now he's and and now and we don't ever want that again, right? Right. And so, God in His wisdom knows that to have a people for Himself for all eternity, right? That it's actually stronger to have a redeemed person than someone who never needed it in the first place. That faith and that allegiance and everything is there because there's at that point there's there's no reason to go back, right? Um, and so. I remember seeing there's this, I can't, I wish I could remember the term, but there's this, some craftsman, and I forget even what people, I think it's Japanese, but they there's this particular kind of thing that they do, like if you break a, a, a piece of china or some kind of dish or something, they have this use, it's, it's, it's almost like a gold, like a, a, a formula of gold or whatever, or this thing that they put the piece of pottery back together and it might even be, it might even work with wood as well. Mm. But and, and it's it's some kind of now turned into this beautiful art. But the point is, when they put it back together with this other substance, this which is like a gold like thing, it's stronger than ever. It's stronger once it's been put back together than it was in its original creation. Right. Right. And I wish I could. I, I need to look it up. But but I think that's I think that's part of this whole thing. God in His wisdom, how in service His wisdom that. Through this disobedience and through all this stuff that that and we see his grace and we know and experience his mercy of him putting us back together, right? It's so it's stronger than it than it would have been if he never had to do it in the first mm-hmm. place. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the big arguments from the world is they want to be autonomous. Uh, it's all about free will. I'll do what I want to do. And I mentioned some time ago that that is the creed of Satan. You know, Satanism is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And we see that take place with Adam and Eve in the garden when they decide that they're going to do what they want to do um, rather than obey the word of God. Now, for the believer, for you and I, we... We love the freedom that we have to make choices, but with a changed heart, our prayer, when we're even praying for, I mentioned this in class just the other day, that when we pray, we pray you know, for our children, but we say, not our will, but your will be done, right? It's going to be about, we want the Lord's will. Right. And that's because we have this changed heart. So we understand that his will for our lives is better and greater than we could ever be in our in our own power, and that through our own fleshy will in the beginning, it caused nothing but destruction and disobedience. Right. And now here we are, kind of wrestling. We still kind of have this old man that we suppress with the with the new man that's been placed on us in the in the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Um, and sometimes that old man cries out a little bit, right? But we're not. But we don't suppress that truth and unrighteousness. We recognize it for what it is, and we recognize that that is a um, a separation point 
when our true desire, our heart's desire as believers is to be in union with Christ. Right. And that's the reality. We, we are in union with him. So the, when we can focus on being in union with Christ, that reality that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we are um, right. citizens of heaven, and our whole life, even though we still may have some wrestlings, is the understanding that his will is higher and greater, and we can just give praise and, and thanksgiving for right. that. And I think some of the world still cries out, no, I want my right. own way. Right. And guess what? God will give it to them if, yeah. if they beg out. I mean, and that's what it says in Romans. He'll turn them over to their debased right. minds. Right. Yeah. I did look that up. That, that It's the Japanese art called, it's called Kintsugi, and it is literally means golden repair. And it's the art of, of doing that. And what's really cool is that a lot of people consider them as they're put back together with gold more beautiful than they were in their original. Oh, thing. yeah. And right. if you think about the, you know, to just carry on the metaphor uh, to its full extent, is those gold streaks of the new piece is actually what makes it more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that for us, we know that's the blood of Christ, right, in us that, that that brings us back to God and it allows us to come back together, right? Mm-hmm. And so that um, that desire for us to want to do it on our own, like for me, when I just consider what he did for me, when I'm confronted with that desire and then I, the, the gospel's preached to me or I preach it back to myself and I consider the blood of Christ, I, am, I get overwhelmed with the beauty of God. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know? Right. And I think that's... And so when I see... And I think now since I've, you know, even as I grow up more and more in my Christian life... Acts of kindness that I see out in the world, acts of true love, are so much more meaningful to me now because I see them in Jesus. And and usually what they're when they're happening, they're happening during times of deep brokenness, right? It's during it's seeing responses, you know, when people are fighting cancer or have have lost a loved one or going through these awful things. And when you see the grace of God enter into those situations, it's so powerful um, because we know the love of Christ in that way ourselves. And so um, that's, for me, that's one of the things that I am continuing to be challenged with. I still, the old man in me still craves a life of comfort and ease and so forth. But yet, you know, the scriptures tell me that I share in his inheritance as I share in his sufferings, mm-hmm. right? And as I enter in to other sufferings sometimes or, or have to go into situations, maybe I, I naturally would just want to flee away from. But because of the grace of God, go ahead and go into him and let God do that healing work of putting me back together and others back together. It's, it's so much better than a night on the couch you know, with my bowl of popcorn and and uh, watching a basketball game. I still need those times at times, just physical rest. But the point is, is that sometimes I, I think, oh, that's that's the life. You know, that's the life we want. You know, we want the we want the life. You know, on the lake in in, in the boat, right. Looking at the sunset, which is great. Would you say that you're thinking you're talking about the good life? Yeah. Have you listened to the Bible Project? <laughs> yes. With yeah. the, about the blood, he's talking about the the, the, the beatitudes, bless, the beatitudes, right? Blessed yeah. are the poor, for they all inherit the earth. But yeah. that whole word, they kind of say, 
Now, this is the perspective of what the true good life is. Yes. You know, it's a different, it's a broken and contrite heart. You know, maybe you guys can check that out at home. It's the, yeah, it should, yeah it's their, it's their, this is 2024, their current season of, of 2024. They're going through the Sermon on the Mount. It, it's, it's really good. And I think that's the, but it really is true. It's only the, the person whose life's been put back together that really can have that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Let, let me let me say one more thing, and then you can close us out. But you know, in talking about all of Israel coming in, and we say that at the return of Christ, there's going to be one second return, and at the end of the age, all of that's going to be all mankind that will ever come to Christ, and then we're going to have judgment. There'll be there'll be a resurrection and judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not a, um, a not after that, not a rapture, and then. Um, a conversion of Jews, um, a new temple being built, right? And the the struggle, um, one of the things that I would say is is big for me to say there, there there won't be a new temple. That doesn't make sense for there to be a new Christian temple because this is exactly what Jesus talks about in the in the Gospels when he says, "You see these buildings, you see this place. Not one stone will be left upon another, right? It's coming. It's all coming down." Right. The temple that was destroyed, Jesus was talking about his body, right? But the judgment of the temple in 70 AD, never to be returned again for worship to Yahweh or sacrifice, there, it doesn't make any sense to me why people expect that to come back into play. Right. You know, so if, if you harmonize the scriptures with the stuff that we've been talking about today, with a, with a final return that... The church today is true Israel, including people from Israel, Judea, Samaria, and all the Gentile nations, all of whom the Lord calls. Um, then what Christ has accomplished in bringing back all true Israel to himself, which is, includes all those people of the remnant, that's the finality of it. So the end of the age, and who knows, it might be thousands of years away. We could still be in the early church, but the because but, we don't right. know. Yeah, we don't know. So, But the idea is... I think our position, just to rehash again, um, that until the age of the Gentiles, then all Israel will be saved, means through this age and through the integration and assimilation of the northern tribes into all the other nations during that time where they lost their identity, um, through the exile, the Babylonian captivity, and through the coming back to Jerusalem to build to rebuild the temple. Who, who, what was the priest's name that did that? I can't remember. Um, Ezra. And Ezra. And anyway, um, that not all returned to Jerusalem either. And so we have those uh, diaspora, those people, uh, the Judites, if you will, that went into the other nations. It's Those are the people from the nations that are now coming back that are representative bloodline Israel, but true Israel still is irrelevant to actual nationality, like you've been saying. Yeah, I don't want. I guess I wouldn't go so far as say irrelevant. I, I, but it's inclusive of. It's inclusive. I should. Yeah. I should have said that because right. God, I, I think there's my, my prom, yeah, yeah, God's promise to God, Israel. Yeah, I don't think God wants us in any way to lose our identity in one sense as, you know, our ethnicity. I mean, we in that sense we are as image bearers in our fullness. We represent the fullness of God, the fullness of the nations 
represents the fullness of God in all its wonderful diversity. If you think about in, in Revelation 21, the kings are coming in, you know, with all their gifts, and you still you can still distinguish between every tongue and tribe and nation in the new heavens and the new earth. They're distinguishable, but they're all united into one common worship of Christ. They're all one spirit, and collectively they are together all the temple of God, mm-hmm. right? Of dwelling in the the whole of creation, which has been the fulfillment of, I would say, the original plan of God when he established the temple-like atmosphere in Garden of Eden up on that mountain, where they were to be fruitful and multiply and, and um, have dominion over all the earth. They were to take that, what he had created, in, and all the earth was to become the garden in that sense, of God dwelling with the people in, in flourishing and wellness, right relationship with each other, with God, with his creation, everything. That is what the new creation is. That is what the new Jerusalem is. That is the, the why there's no need for a temple, because there is the whole earth it becomes the temple right. uh, in, in that sense. And so, um, and so as we think about it as it relates to the nations, there's something beautiful about the nations. There's something beautiful about God's wisdom in dispersing everyone at Babel, right? And so that that... That wonderful because God is so much bigger than than just one people in one language, you know. There's something beautiful about being able to see just the wonder of God in in the diversity of humanity. But it's not for diversity's sake, which we, which which our world's trying to make today diversity for diversity's sake. No, it's an expression of the image of God, expression of the fullness of, of how wonderful he is and, and, and how he's saving a people for himself, a people that can be of every tongue, tribe, mm-hmm. and nation, right, right. right? As, as Revelation says. And so as we, as we wrap this up and, and just think about the wonderful mercies of God and his wisdom in all this, I think the the important thing that we should say is that I, I'm I love I'm going to love all my brothers and sisters in Christ who maybe don't accept this view, um, but I hope you you see that what Thad and I's heart in this is is one as is as our desire in the Plain of Podcast we want to be as faithful to Scripture as we can at the time in which we have that understanding, right? And so. I don't think, as we even talked about, kind of like these three phases of, of Thad's understanding of some of this, and is that, you know, I'm not saying that Thad wasn't faithful back in his dispensational understanding. And we're not talking about a salvation yeah, issue. Yeah, exactly. But it's also even a faithfulness. I mean, we were faithful with what we had at the time. Right. And, and, I think we, and, and I think what we're saying is, I would say that this new view of the fullness of the Gentiles, and at least it's new to us, and the fullness of the Gentiles and all, and all Israel is the most faithful reading of Scripture that we have seen to this point as it relates to this. And it actually is extremely cohesive with the whole storyline of the Bible. So, go ahead. No, I just was going to say that uh, what we've accomplished here in the last uh, few months has not been to change our view we just had it blossom a little bit. Yeah. No, we just had right. a little additive, a little a little subcategory that came in and it made the gospel even more harmonious in our understanding, right. which is which is our whole goal to keep the the, the biblical hermeneutics right. or the harmony of the scriptures, um, because 
the one rule of interpretation is that scripture is our interpreter of scripture. Right. And so if we lose the harmony part of it, um, yeah. we're going to, we're going to be in trouble. And that's what we're trying to do is, is, is stick closely to the, to the truth of the scriptures. And when we run into a, you know, a tough topic like this, that we kind of wrestle yeah. through it and see where it fits. Yeah. And hopefully too, it not only has it helped with, with this, but it's also, I think in just taking the time to do the study and to go back and look at all the Old Testament is, and I think I, I'm just, hopefully we know our Bibles better, right? We know, we do know the, 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 the story better. The narrative of scripture is, is, is being more solidified. Um, and I hope, I hope that, you know, three years from now, I can say that too, that, that, that it's, it just keeps blossoming and getting fuller and richer. And, and, and we continue to just marvel at the wisdom of God and how he um, works to uh, have a people for himself. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. Well, we will. Uh, thanks for joining us through this season, and we hope to uh, have you back when we start our next one. Forward to seeing you then. Have a good night. We hope you'll join us in our next series as we look at the shorter letters of Paul. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com. 